you will stand for the reading of the word. Be a little loud. I'll be reading from Galatians 5, 13 through 26. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Our guest preacher for today is our conference minister for Ohio Mennonite Conference, Dick Barrett. Uh, Dick Barrett, uh, before he became conference minister, served as pastor of Oak Grove Mennonite in West Liberty for 16 years. Uh, Dick and his wife Mary still live in West Liberty. They have two sons that live outside of Buffalo, New York. Dick's originally from uh, New York. And two daughters and four grandchildren that live right near uh, him and his wife in West Liberty. And Dick, I think, has been conference minister since 2018-19. Is that right? Yeah, and I think actually we were one of the first congregations that Dick came and visited. So it's probably been about four years since Dick's been with us. He has an interesting story about his journey into the Midnight Church that he told us a little bit last time. Uh, you can ask him about that if he has time. But um, thank you. He, Dick drove, I think, three and a half hours to be with us this morning. So I really appreciate uh, Dick doing that and just being with us. And as a reminder, uh, we'll have a chance to meet with Dick after uh, the service. Welcome, Dick. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. It is good to be here this morning. Yeah, I think it's been about four years, which... Actually, this is my favorite thing, getting around and getting to the churches and just seeing our different churches and how diverse they are. And I hoped I would have been here before four years, but this thing called COVID kind of got in between. So it's been a while. Yeah, I, I have my own journey. Um, 25 years ago, I found myself as a New York State trooper, a former Catholic, with a divorce in my past, and I was about to become a member of Clarence Center Akron Mennonite Church in western New York. 
And I knew I needed to be rebaptized as an adult because I certainly couldn't remember my infant baptism. And I couldn't even fully understand that when I made my confirmation, which was about the age of 14 or 15, if I truly understood what I was doing at that time. So as I was preparing for my adult baptism and becoming a member of the Mennonite Church, the pastor who was very instrumental in both my wife and I coming to the Mennonite Church and coming to the faith as an adult sat down with us before we were both to be baptized. And I asked him, I said, okay, so are some of the people in this church going to have trouble with me being a former Catholic and a divorce in my past? And he laughed. And he said, no, he said, I think most of the people are okay with you being a former Catholic and with a divorce in your past, but some are challenged by you being a police officer in the present. And that's when I laughed. Because it just didn't register to me that some might question me being a police officer. You see, I wasn't far enough along in my own discipleship journey to think or to even wrestle with the peace position and how did it fit with me being a police officer. And that actually took a number of years. And I eventually got to the place that, at least for me, that I felt that it probably wasn't right for me anymore to be a police officer if I wanted to continue to grow in following Christ. And fortunately, I had gone almost 20 years without having to take somebody else's life. But just the thought of being a Christ follower and being in the position that at any given time I might need to take another person's life was troubling, at least for me. And I say for me because I still think it is possible for one to be a Christian and to be a police officer at the same time. But I think it's also incumbent upon each of us who is a Christian and is a police officer that they consider for themselves what it might be like if you need to take somebody's life. And how does that fit with following Christ? And I think it's even more troubling for somebody that wants to serve in the military. You see, over my Christian faith journey, I have come to accept the Christian faith or the Mennonite church's basic premise when it comes to peace and nonviolence. But I've come to accept it not because it is Mennonite. I've come to accept it because I believe that is what Christ calls all of his followers to do. In one of his most fundamental teachings, in his Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, there are a number of things that Jesus talks about regarding peace and nonviolence. First, in his Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. A little further, he says, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, you should not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is even angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And just a little bit further, he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
But I tell you, do not even resist an evil person. And then he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be called the children of your Father in heaven. Well, who may be called the children of the Father in heaven? That's both us and our enemies. You see, peace is not just an afterthought of Jesus or just one of the many things that he came to preach and teach and to live out in his life. It is primary to who he was and who he still is. It is right up there with love. But peace is not just a Jesus thing or even a New Testament thing either. It's also present in the Old Testament. Almost all of us are familiar with Psalm 23. Many, if not most of us, could recite it by heart. But how often do we think about what we are praying for when we say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies? You see, God is preparing a banquet for his people. And some, if not many, who are going to be there are those that we might consider to be our enemies today here on earth. And if it makes you feel any better, the opposite is also true. There are going to be some present at the heavenly banquet who considered you to be one of their enemies here on earth. The word peace is found some 250 times in the Bible almost equal between the Old Testament and the New. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that is most often used for peace is shalom, meaning peace and safety and well-being and wholeness. In the New Testament, the Greek word is translated in English as peace is actually always the same. The Greek word is irene, which means peace, or harmony, tranquility, safety, welfare, and health. Often with the emphasis on the lack of strife or reconciliation in a relationship, as one has peace with God, often used as a verbal and written greeting. Jesus often used the word peace as a verbal greeting and a benediction. Your faith has saved you, go in peace. Your faith has healed you, go in peace. Peace be with you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Those are just a few of the times that Jesus used the word in a greeting or a benediction recorded in Scripture. Peace is the gospel message of salvation through Jesus Christ and what it should bring to God's people. It is what we read and pray and sing about at Christmas time. In Zechariah's prayer, he says, and you, my child, meaning his son, John the Baptist, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, 
because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come down to us from heaven to shine on those in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And when the great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel to the shepherds on that first Christmas Eve, it says that they did so, praising God and singing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And whereas Jesus often used it as both a greeting and a benediction, the apostle Paul used it as a written greeting and benediction in every single one of his letters. In his letter to the early Christians in Rome, he writes, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That same greeting is found at the beginning of every single one of Paul's letters. And he closes 2 Corinthians with these words. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The plea for peace among fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, is present through all of Paul's letters. And then it's in 2 Corinthians where he writes about the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, if anyone is in God, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As through God we're making, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on God's behalf be reconciled to God. And I am convinced that if Paul were writing this letter to the church today, in the time of the church that we currently find ourselves in, he would add, and we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to one another. You see, there are two sides of the same coin. You cannot have one without the other. Being reconciled with God through Christ demands that as Christians, we are reconciled to one another. Being at peace with God demands that we are at peace with one another. The peace that is called for in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the peace that is part of that fruit of the Holy Spirit, shalom in the Hebrew, and Irene in the Greek, the peace within our mind and heart and soul only comes when we have peace with God and peace with one another. 
And that peace is so easy to talk about and so easy to preach about and so difficult to live out and experience. Mennonites, along with other Anabaptist groups, Friends or Quakers and Church of the Brethren and some of their sister churches have been traditionally known as the three largest peace churches in the world, using such words as pacifism, non-resistance, non-violence, and peace. Many today find the word pacifism and non-resistance troubling especially in a world that has permitted so much violence and oppression against certain groups of people, even within the church. I think the words peace and nonviolence capture best what Jesus was trying to convey in his teachings, in his life, death, and resurrection. We are not just to sit back and allow people to do harm to us and others. We are to respond in a nonviolent way. And the Apostle Paul might have captured it best at the end of Romans chapter 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is in the eyes, right is in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible and as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It is not our responsibility to judge other people. That is the responsibility of God the Father and Jesus the Son. It is not our responsibility to convict people of their sin. That is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. We don't even actually heap the burning coals on the heads of our enemies. That too we leave to the Holy Spirit. We are called to love them and be at peace with them as far as it depends on us. Again, so easy to read about and to talk about and so difficult to do. You see, as someone who came from outside of the Mennonite Church, who came to accept its peace position in my discipleship journey, I've been challenged trying to discover what does it mean to be a peace church within our own churches? You see, Mennonites are known throughout the world for our peace work among nations and people groups. Other groups turn to Mennonites to help in reconciliation and bringing peace. But my observation, now being in the Mennonite church for 25 years, the past 20 years in church leadership, we do a terrible job within our church. You see, just as I didn't have much knowledge of the Mennonite Church's peace position when I became a member 25 years ago, I also didn't have much knowledge of the history of division and schisms and splits. 
And while we might be looked upon as a peace church from those outside of our denomination, whatever Mennonite denomination or church group that may be, our witness to the world of peace within our churches seems to be no greater than any other Christian denomination or group. And I even wonder that if Jesus were speaking to us today, especially one who considers ourselves to be a peace church, if he might challenge us to stop all of our work for peace outside the church and focus on working for peace within. And when it comes to how that might look in our church today, I must confess that I am at a loss. See, I had Christiana read from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26 this morning, because I think it's important that we take that fruit of the Holy Spirit that Paul gives us in its context. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is given against or opposed to the sins or the desires of the flesh. Paul writes, so I say, with the, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, and so that you are not to do whatever you want. So what are the acts of the flesh that Paul writes about? Well, he says they're obvious, which I'm not so sure they're as obvious as we'd like to think to us today. But I'm not so sure they were as obvious to those whom Paul was writing some 2,000 years ago as well. But he gives us some examples. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And interestingly, we seem to focus on one area of the sins of the flesh, sexual immorality, while we often ignore the one that is listed even more often. Conflict, biting, and devouring each other. Hatred, discord, dissensions, and factions. Don't get me wrong. I think we err if we just dismiss or look over what the Bible says about sexual immorality, especially in a world that seems to be offering no boundaries when it comes to sexual behavior. But I wonder if we were to focus more of our attention on Jesus' call to unity among his followers and to the work of reconciliation and peace among ourselves then I think we might be able to offer something different to a lost and dying world. The Christian church in general finds itself 
in the season of Pentecost. Celebrating Jesus' ascension back into heaven and the sending of his Holy Spirit on the church on that first Sunday of Pentecost some 2,000 years ago. And just prior to Jesus' ascending, in the presence of his closest disciples, he reminded them of the gift that God had promised to send them after his departure, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the disciples asking him how and at what time he was going to restore the kingdom. And Jesus said, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Until we are taken up, or Jesus returns to establish his kingdom in its fullness, we are to be witnesses of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. Witnesses of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let us pray. Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We come to you today acknowledging that we fall short in so many areas of our lives, individually and collectively as your churches. Help us to remember that it's not about getting it all right or being perfect in any of these areas. It's about the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, that you have offered to the entire world for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who believe, who repent of their own sins, again, both individually and collectively, and put their faith in him. In the same way that the Holy Spirit descended upon your earliest disciples 2,000 years ago, May it descend upon us today. May we be witnesses to that fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We pray for the same unity among your people that Jesus prayed for. For the glory and honor of his name, 